In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. The new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them too. We'll see. So if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 46 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm back in Colorado chatting with Cheryl Eloff, another ninjutsu black belt who trains at Kusa Dojo, also known as Wash Park Martial Arts. Cheryl is an author, speaker, formerly trained dancer, and physical therapist, and a ninja. Cheryl works with Pilates, nutrition, and the Feltenkrais method and goes by the motto, Vitality at Every Stage of Life. Her work is based on her personal experience recovering from several chronic pain syndromes, as well as her professional experience as a physical therapist. So, I've never met Cheryl in person, but I have been a guest on her podcast, The Femininja Show. Coming from the same family of schools as me, and also Erin Riley, my guest in episode 42, we have a lot in common, Cheryl and I. Like me, she started martial arts training later than what most people think is average, and for similar reasons. Like me, she became the first female black belt under her teacher, Sensei Mark Hansen. And like me, is a first-generation American daughter of an immigrant father. It's always nice to talk to another female ninja. I call it the tale of two ninjas. <laughs> it is. But there's more than just us. There's a few more. Yes, there um, We're like, we can turn into a many-headed beast if we choose. <laughs> Beautiful beast, but beast nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. But the first one that I want to start with is I was looking at um, an entry on your blog uh, on the 4th of July, a story about your dad yeah. arriving from um, immigrating to the United States from Czechoslovakia mm -hmm. and how he and his, his mother, your grandmother, mm -hmm. had basically escaped that area as Hitler kind of took over the Sudetenland. Absolutely, yes. So where in Czechoslovakia was he living at the time? Was your family's farm? I can't remember the name of it. I, I've never learned how to say it correctly because I didn't get really familiar with it until after my, my father passed away. But it was something like in, in Vosier or in, in Vosconce. I, I can't say it um, correctly. But it's about 20 miles from the um, Hungarian border. Oh, okay. Okay. So, all right. I'm, I'm asking because my dad and his family, his parents and, and siblings, were also living in Czechoslovakia in the Sudetenland um, about, I can't remember now if it's like two hours or so by car, maybe four hours by car, I think north of Prague. But they were, they were um, uh, what's called Volksdeutsch or Auslander. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Deutsch. So they were German and German identified, but they lived in the Sudetenland. Yes, I remember that story very well because I am writing a book about my family history. Mm -hmm. And so I've been learning a lot, doing an awful lot of research, which has been fascinating, but kind of like, you know, very emotional. And I don't like to talk mm. about emotions. I like to tell people I just don't have feelings. Um, but it's really interesting. So you, the Sudetenland was actually quite a bit north of where my father was. Okay. Okay. That's, that was my main question. Cause I was like, are we related? Because that I, would blow my mind. <laughs> I'll bet we are. Uh, you know, I think that there was so much, um, so there's so many families and stuff. I think that, and I know I do have relations 
back there still, but and I'd love to locate them. But I think it would be so cool if uh, you and I were related. And I think we have an awful lot in common. We have a lot of the same spirit. Mm. Uh, I think that came, maybe that came from that part of the region. I don't know, but there's definitely, it, it's a certain spirit. And, you know, my father and I, we, we weren't always compatible or we, you know, I have four sisters and my father was a very macho manly man. Um, and there were times that it was just like, oh, we are so different. And now the older I get, I realize we actually had a lot uh, in common. My yeah. father actually was a black belt in karate. Yeah, you know what's funny is my dad as well was, um, um, I think he achieved brown belt in judo, and then he was also, he was also training in this in this form of wrestling um, that I can't remember the name of. He told me, but I don't remember the name. But when you combine the two things, basically you have nimpo taijutsu. Mm-hmm. And there's this really great photo of my dad from the 1960s when he was in a he was in a competition um for judo and he's throwing somebody he's mm-hmm. kind of in the middle of a throw and there's a photo of me from my shodan test in almost the exact same position oh it's, my it's just one of my absolute favorite things so that yeah helps. and it's the same it's like you kind of you start to see just how much alike you actually have always been, mm-hmm. but didn't, you know, it's, it, that's not something you really want to recognize when you're younger in defining yourself. Right. Exactly. You know, who wants to define themselves by someone else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's really funny because I was always told, um, you know, I look so much like my mother and, you know, so we were definitely, I was one of the more fussy girls in, in my, in my family out of all of my sisters, you know, one was a tomboy. The other one was like a homemaker. And, you know, I mean, there are five of us for heaven's sake. So we all had different personalities, but I was the one that was always most like my mother. And then to find out like, wow, I had a whole lot of my father in me was really kind of surprising. Mm. And interesting, my dad actually did watch me train in NIMPO. He came Mm -hmm. to a class when I was still just like a yellow belt or a yellow and black belt. But Mm -hmm. it was so funny because everybody could understand, you know, I said, you know, nobody ever wanted to come and watch me dance. I mean, I'm a fairly good dancer. I used to perform and stuff. And it's like, we could see you dancing. You know, we knew that part of you, but to see you doing something like this, we all wanted to see it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, my family kind of did the same. They, they, my first black belt um, test was a surprise test. Um, so no one was invited because I didn't know I was, <laughs> I was testing for my showdown. But for my instructor's belt, um, I was talking to my older brother sometime before that. And he said, yeah, we actually really want to come see it. And I thought, I thought nobody actually, nobody was interested. So my whole family, some cousins, some old friends from high school, all flew to Los Angeles to watch this test and my dad walked into the dojo studio city martial arts and it was the first time i think he had seen mats in a really long time so because of course he had to arrive early because he's german so there was no (laughs) one else there and um and he like takes off his shoes and he was like oh let's see if i can still do some rolls and so he started he just rolled around Mm -hmm. on the mats for a while which i was like you know could you could you just steal my thunder a little bit more, please? <laughs> no, I didn't feel that way at all. Actually, I was like, wow, this is this is so cool that this is something we can share because it seemed like for so long there was not that much that we had in common or the things that I tried to make overtures um, mm-hmm. to him about that were really in common. He was often quite dismissive of. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I was shy, you know, like my dad was a really good tennis player and I played tennis very amateurly, but I was like, let's play tennis. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, my dad was like, no, <laughs> because that's not going to be fun for me, you know, which, which would be true, you know, when you're so much better than somebody else, right. but right. nonetheless. Well, so yeah, it was, it was the same. So what did your dad think when he saw your, when he saw you train and, well, I, it was really funny because um, one of the guys, I don't know if you remember him, his name is Matt, redheaded guy, very soft spoken. He was probably about a brown belt, um, really wonderful to train with. He was about my size, you know, of course, much more muscular. But being that I was so new still, he was throwing me. 
but when he would throw me, he'd throw and he would gently lower me to the ground. Right. And he kept looking at my dad sitting watching <laughs> and he said, oh my God, he says, your dad's going to come out here and kick my ass. And I started <laughs> to laugh and I said, oh, trust me, he's probably enjoying it. So after a few more throws and Matt was looking more and more nervous and kept looking at my dad. And finally I says, hey, daddy. And he says, yo, <laughs> I said, Matt here is afraid you're going to come and kick his ass because he's beating me up. He goes, oh no, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I, looked, I looked at Matt and said, told you so. But the one thing that my father was so impressed with when we were leaving, he said, I can't believe how much fun you guys have. Mm. And he said, you know, you laugh during class. You're really having a good time. He said, we would be thrown out. Everything was very serious and very macho and very, hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, then who would, who would train? That wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been to, I've trained at a couple of dojos that are like that. I, obviously didn't stay mm -hmm. but the but some people really like that you know some people really want that sort of I want to be really serious and have a lot of focus and feel like I'm in some kind of a boot camp thing and mm -hmm. you know I mean some people I guess get off on it but yeah you know yeah I'm much more interested in having a good time but right well and we learn better that way I mean just based on your pretty deadly self-defense you know that yeah. is that when we're having fun and we're playing, we're actually learning more and learning more effectively than if somebody's trying to beat our heads in. Right, right. So you started NIMPO when you were 47. Yes. That was, I started when I was 32. So mm -hmm. I started a little bit earlier than you. And you told me before the story of how you got into NIMPO, but can you, yes. can you tell me again? Yes. Um, well, first of all, just I'll start with how I met Sensei Mark. Mm -hmm. And I was 44 years old at the time. And when I met him, it was for acupuncture. I had no intention ever taking any martial arts. That was just never my plan. Not in my DNA. I mean, my God, who would do something like that, right? Uh, ballet dancer, fussy girl, ooh, you know, sweating in a gi is just not my thing. But Unfortunately, just a few months before I met Mark, I had been sexually assaulted. And it was actually in a doctor's office. So I had walked in to this office uh, for the first time. It was somebody I hadn't known. We'll never do that again. Mm -hmm. And I walked in. I was a healthy, vibrant, you know, 44-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. And when I walked out, I was a statistic. Right. And, you know... The way people treated me afterward, because I tried to report it, I tried to get help, I was trying to get support from my closest friends, you know, my husband, and everybody just shut me down. And so I really understand why women do not report mm -hmm. assault, because the way I was treated afterward was almost even worse and more tra traumatizing than the event itself. And, you know, so after I was told just to, you know, I was lying, I was making it up, um, there was something in my past I should be looking into, I needed therapy, I needed, I was, you know, looking for money, I wanted to sue this guy, which I never did, suing somebody never came into mind. Um, revenge certainly came to mind. <laughs> so I just kind of stuffed it down and uh, ignored it. And of course, I was already starting to have symptoms of PTSD, and it was about a year later that I was re-triggered and I mean I had a complete meltdown and of course I had been seeing Mark for acupuncture and when I he had always ever since the first day I walked into his acupuncture clinic tried to get me to take classes with him for NIMPO mm -hmm. and he says you know with your legs and my coaching I could teach you how to kill with these things and I thought oh my god <laughs> who thinks like this let alone says it out loud um, but anyhow, then once he found out what my history was, his campaign to get me onto the mat went into high gear, but it still took him another year and a half. So I resisted for three years. Can I, can I back up a little bit with that? Um, you mean when he found out about your history of the sexual assault? Yes. How did it feel for you to be believed after being shut down by, by so many people close to you who... It was shocking. Mm. It was validating. 
it was, I don't want to say empowering, but it was almost like finally somebody was listening to me and really paying attention. And it was so funny. He was so sweet. I mean, he, he was so sweet. Um, when he was, you know, asking me like some of my symptoms and stuff and everything. And you could tell people say that Sensei Mark doesn't get mad. Oh, yes, he does. Mm -hmm. And when he gets mad, I know it because he gets his, he gets very clipped in his mm -hmm. conversation, his questions, very clipped, very succinct, and his eyes turn colors. Mm -hmm. I mean, his eyes turn this like bright or deep shade of green. It's when he's mad. It's really funny. And I could tell he was just, you know, ready to blow up. And he's just talking to me very gently, you know, putting needles in me and said, you know, it's no secret that you're one of my favorite people. And he said, the thought that somebody did this to you makes me want to find him and hurt him and mm -hmm. hurt him bad. And that was the nicest thing anybody had said to me, you know, in 18 months. And it was like a choir of angels began to sing. At least somebody was listening. Right. Somebody listens, somebody believes, somebody validates. I know after my attack, um, I, I had physical evidence so on my body. So it was, there was no actual denying that. Mm -hmm. But it was still hard to get people to believe the severity of it. Yeah. You know, when it was, when I would say, but, you know, this person was trying to take my life. A lot of questions were like, well, how, how would you know? Oh. Why would you think that? Don't you think you're being melodramatic? And it was like, how would I know? Because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and and how, <laughs> how, 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 so, he sent me a letter. I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? So the, he didn't send a letter for listeners <laughs> who are confused. Um, but from the intention. And the same when I walked into the dojo in Los Angeles. Um, uh it was years before I actually spoke openly to Sensei Minge about what I had experienced, but he knew immediately, you mm -hmm. know, and he said that he said something happened to you, didn't it? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, well, you're safe here. And that was, that also was just a beautiful thing to hear. Like you, you, I think people don't realize how much, people who experience these things need to hear the words, you are safe here with me. I am keeping you safe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm on watch for you so you can rest, which to me was like massive. And um, I believe you. And that must have been horrible. And that makes me really angry. And, uh, you know, I, I, for me, the most important words were from my best friend, which was, I'm so proud of you. Mm. Still stays with me forever, you know, in that because, you know, you feel so helpless. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think people don't quite understand like how important these things are. And then of course you, you know, that PTSD gets compounded and uh, the more people don't believe you or question your own experience or your ability to witness your own life. It, it, absolutely. And just describing how Sensei Minj was saying, you know, you're safe here. I believe you. You know, I mean, it was a very nurturing as well as empowering experience. And you understand that you, on a visceral level that, yes, you are safe. And, you know, I was recommended, you know, go to therapy, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I did. And I'd sit there and my therapist would say, you're safe. You're safe. And it just meant nothing. You know, it's like, they were just words, but going to a, you know a place like the dojo and having Mark validate. I mean, even before I ever stepped on the mat, that was different because to me that was really sincere and it was it, it impacted me in a very visceral way. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree because I also went to therapy and it. I really liked my therapist, but I yeah I didn't get that feeling from her, and she would say the same to me. You know, you're yeah. safe. But it was like, uh, yeah. it, it, it just, uh, it means nothing. I mean, these are empty words, safe from what, you know, you're going to keep me safe. You're keeping me safe. You're like half a head shorter than me, you know, and, <laughs> and 30 years older. What are you going to do? But not even from a physical standpoint. It was just like, I, I think I felt more, 
I felt that those words were more sincere coming from Sensei Minj, not because he's a martial artist and was running a dojo, but because you kind of had the, the sense that that person saying those words have, has had somewhat similar experiences. They can, they can empathize in a much more visceral way mm-hmm. about what you've been through. Maybe they haven't had the same type of gender-based violence, mm-hmm. but they certainly understand the repercussions of violence and trauma and, and fear and all of those things, I think, in a much more profound way than people who are trained in traditional therapy psychotherapy um, are. And, you know, again, and I I really liked my therapist a lot, but she never, she was never able to, to answer that for me. Only, only Nimpo could do that. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky to have the two at the same time, Mm -hmm. because I think for me, that helped my healing a lot more than if I had just gone to therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Actually, I went to therapy for a while, you know, a few years and it never, it never had the same impact on me that Nimpo did. And mm-hmm. finally, and my therapist, bless his heart, and I did, I went to a man, which, you know, I was fine with that. A lot of people, once they finally started to believe me, um, years later, said, oh, you need to talk to a woman. A woman would be so much better. A woman would understand. Well, a woman was very important and a, um, in, in, part, in the assault. I mean, it was like, a, it was a team. It was a team and it was, Mm -hmm. his nurse was a very, very big part of it and helped set me up. So I'm like, well, I don't feel really that comfortable with women at this point either. Um, But I don't know, he kept triggering me and it it was just, something was really not right. And finally he asked me, have you ever thought of doing something like martial arts? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's interesting that you should mention it because Mark has been after me for three years. And Mm -hmm. he said, he knew, you know, Mark was my acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. And he said, he's a martial artist. And I said, oh yeah, his dojo was right next to the clinic. And he said, this is perfect. This is somebody that you already know. And of course I knew a lot of the students just by seeing them going in and out of the dojo. Mm And they all look like a bunch of dweebs, you know, and, 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 and dorks and goofuses and stuff. And I thought, these because, we, like because we are. Exactly. And let's just admit that. <laughs> exactly. So, but the first time I walked in there and I saw these same guys dressed in geese and throwing each other around, I was like, whoa, this is a whole different, you know, side of them that I hadn't mm-hmm. seen before. But right. uh, yeah, it was, it was really a, a fascinating journey. I think that what I have gotten from Nimpo is, I can't even express, you know, the, the level of confidence and strength and even beauty and elegance that the art gives you. It's just mm-hmm. amazing. I think it's, that's something I wanted to talk to you about because you are a physiotherapist yes. as well. And a lot of the work that you do is about helping people um, not only work on their own bodies um, in physiotherapy context, but as well as in a mental health context of personal development and personal growth, or as you call it, finding your invisible black belt, Mm -hmm. um, which is a great way to approach it. Of course, I think being mildly biased myself, (laughs) but the, what I was wondering though, is that you know, because you started a bit later and I started a bit later too, and now I've been with it for 20 years and you've been with it for about the same, right? Yes, 17. I did yeah. take a three-year hiatus, but yeah, I'm back at the dojo and right. uh, just loving it. Yeah, so it's, it's around about the same time. And I'm curious about how your body responded when you began and now as you're getting older how does that affect you not only through the physical training but also sh- through the more esoteric stuff that we address in Nimpo? oh that's a really good question um when i first started of course you know uh, at that point i had had 26 years of ballet under my belt so mm-hmm. to speak um so i was you know quite well trained as a dancer and everybody said, oh, you're going to be so good at this because you're a dancer. But it's no. Nimpo was the complete opposite. Everything in ballet is very long, very extended. 
pointed toes, you know, long, you know, elbows, long wrists and hands, everything extended, long spine. And in Nimpo, the knees are, are, are bent or slightly bent. Right, soft. right. Elbows soft, you know, you're using your wrists and your elbows and things to strike. So it was very confusing for me. And even um, like doing rolls was so hard because my thoracic spine did not flex like that. It went backwards in a back bend very easily, but to be able mm -hmm. to flex so I could roll, it took me a long, long time to learn how to roll because it was so different. So, you know, I had a lot more aches and pains in ways that my body was well-trained, but, you know, I was strong, but it was, I was putting a different ask on my body, on my joints mm -hmm. and different demands. Kneeling in Seiza, you know, was just really painful because my knees couldn't do that. But it didn't take very long for my body to adapt and, you know, learn the movement patterns. And it was actually interesting because it made my dancing better. Mm. Because if you can get down, then you can go up. So it gave me more balance physically and it gave me so much more balance mentally, emotionally, mm -hmm. cognitively. It was just amazing that what I learned in class, even as a brand new student, I was able to apply to my ballet, to my grocery mm -hmm. shopping, mm -hmm. to working with my clients. And once I got to be, you know, probably, a, I can't remember what level, maybe brown belt, I actually started using a lot of NIMPO in my physical therapy practice with my, my clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, um, said something on your blog about celebrating a day of celebration for yourself so which sounds like i'm totally changing the subject but i'm not because i feel that these things are quite um related and the reason i'm asking as well is because you, what i found interesting is you said you know your 30s were rough and your 40s were also rough mm -hmm. and so when you turned 50 you were determined to turn things around for yourself right um which was only, I guess, about three years into your NIMPO training anyway. Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Um, and you decided to, to start with celebrating your birthday for 50 days mm -hmm. for that birthday. And then you keep adding a day or you keep adding the, the, another 10 days or another day for each year. Another day for each year. Okay. So, and what I'm curious about is because when I turned 50, um, you know, I also was like, well, you know, here it is, <laughs> 50. <laughs> what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. Now with all this knowledge and experience, and also my 30s were not so much fun. I mean, mm -hmm. that's when I was attacked. So Ugh. that was all of that. And my 40s, I thought were going to be fun. And in some ways they were, I was in Paris, but um, also I was super hormonal. So oh, that yeah. wasn't fun at all. Um, yeah. So it was interesting that you kind of did something that I also, and maybe it's just something that we all naturally do when we hit this big milestone, but I'm also paying attention to my body as it changes, you know, going through when I started NIMPO and the first time I did OTEN, the cartwheel, mm -hmm. you know, I think I was kind of laughing to myself like, oh, I never thought I'd be doing cartwheels in my thirties. Ha ha ha. And now, it, you know, in my fifties, I'm like, ha 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 ha. I wish I, I wish I appreciated that more in my thirties. It's not so easy now. So it's, um, but you know, seeing how my body is responding to things in NIMPO as I grow older and how NIMPO is responding to me mm -hmm. as I grow older too. And because you are a little bit older than I am, I'm curious, you know, it's sort of like, what do I have to look forward to? Well, that's another really I mean, good other question. Other than death. Yes. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to death, but I'm just saying that's ahead on the path somewhere. It, that, that's interesting as well. And especially since I took a hiatus for three years mm -hmm. um, and of course kept up with my dancing. And then I was really missing the training, but you know, I just had to leave it for a while. And then when I went back this past November, I thought, I even wonder if I can roll. Well, I knew I could, but mm -hmm. I hadn't done it in a while. Mm -hmm. And the first class was a little bit like clunky, let's just say, but I was amazed at how much I remembered, my body remembered. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't remember a lot of the names of the techniques. I didn't remember any of the names of the techniques, but 
but I was amazed how I felt like it was almost a sense of coming home. Mm-hmm. And it was a piece of me that was missing. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm celebrating today as I think it's day 13 of Cheryl. So oh, is it just your birthday? No, my birthday was like two weeks ago, but I, oh, I, well, I, started, I started counting early this year. I can't remember. Um, see, that's one thing that goes. Um, <laughs> and my yeah. glasses, they're on my head. <laughs> oh, they're, okay. They're still on my face. Um, yeah. So I'm 64. Okay. And yeah, I, it's, it's almost like I feel that doing NIMPO and keeping up with it is helping to keep me young. And I even remember Sensei Mark one time said about Sensei Minge, and hopefully no one will hear this and report me for saying something like this, but he said that uh, he felt like Sensei Minge started losing his flexibility when he stopped doing Taijutsu, the mm. role. And I remembered that. And he said that several years ago. And I can see Mark now because he just turned 70 and he'll get on the mat and he'll do a few rolls and he goes a little slow. But as a physical therapist, I'm thinking if you do them every day, I'll bet it would be easier. Mm-hmm. So the right. point is you know, to keep moving and, and just to not stop. And I think that martial arts is one of the best things to be able to help with anti-aging or graceful aging, as long as you're smart about it. And, you know, I don't want anybody slamming me to the floor. Don't do that. Right. You know, because at this point in my life, you know, one bad fall and I'm never going back to the dojo again, you know, no, no matter how good my falls are. Right. Right. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I only had two injuries in NIMPO and both of them were my fault and just being Mm -hmm. stupid. And that was at the very beginning because I didn't know any, any better. You know, I didn't know how to punch. I never threw a punch in my life. So they really had to work hard on trying to get me to punch. And Mark said, you have to do something like Kihon, go home and do like a hundred punches every day. So I did it with so much enthusiasm. I actually dislocated my like uh, clavicle from my, my breastbone. Oh, I've done yeah. that, but only yeah. not, not in the way you did. I yeah, did it in yeah. a much, much, much more idiotic way. Oh, really? Very much. Yes, it involved some wine, a bit ah. of showing off. It was all oh. very stupid. Oh, yeah. that's At least I was sober at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing I did is um, one of the techniques in the second degree yellow belt, it's a wrist technique where the guy's got your wrist and punches and you sweep the arm and then you mm-hmm. just go into a dive roll. Mm-hmm. And halfway to the floor, I either forgot what I was doing or I changed my mind. So instead of planting my hands flat on the mat, mm-hmm. I had Could my it, hands. Go keep ahead. going, keep going, keep going. Instead I of planting your hands. I had my hands, my fingers fully extended. Ah. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. So when I landed, I dislocated um, my finger, this you know middle finger. Mm-hmm. And there was a really loud pop. And my partner, Ah. he stopped and he says, what was that? And I said, I think I broke my finger. And I stood up and my finger was actually at a 45 degree angle. Ew. This joint, yeah. So, you know, he's like, oh, let's put some ice on it. So we put some ice on it and it kept falling off. And I'm like looking at the clock going, there's only five minutes left. Let's just finish and do some other technique. Mm -hmm. And we did. And and that was it. Um. I don't think that any of my students here in Berlin actually listen to this podcast, uh-huh. but hands flat on the floor, people, hands <laughs> flat on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All Absolutely. the time. All yes. the time. Because uh, you can still see there's a little deformity here, but I like to think that it's part of my charm. And I couldn't wear my wedding ring for over a year. Oh, because that joint took the brunt too. But yeah, yeah it was it was ugly. But you know what? It didn't stop me. But I did learn hands flat on the mat. Yes, people, <laughs> listen up. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna make them listen to this episode just as a homework. Um, what do you think it, it, your life experience as an older practitioner of the art, especially starting older? Mm-hmm. has brought to it. I know when I started, um, there were 
there were a couple of teenagers who had kind of graduated out of the kids class and they were now training with the adults, but they were people who had started like when they were six, you know, mm -hmm. so they had been in it forever. And I would talk to them and look at them move and their movement was so beautiful because they had been doing it for so long. Um, and I would talk to them and these kids were like just such well-adjusted, confident, strong teenagers, which was not me as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And, and I would think like, God, if, if I just had had this, when I was that age, every child should start doing this, you know, imagine what, what a different experience teenage years and puberty and adolescence and all that crap could be with martial arts in your life, whether it's NIMPO or whatever it is. Um, but certainly as an adult, I was surprised of about the things that it brought me, you know, for, you know, personal development. A lot of the things that you already talked about. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that we kind of all experience from it. But now as I've gotten older, um, and of course I have a life experience outside of the dojo and outside of the art, and the two things kind of feed into each other all the time. So now when I'm doing a roll or a lock or a throw or a strike or whatever it is, there's also some of my other life experience behind that. So I'm looking at these things a little bit differently. And then that, that's kind of like on a feedback loop. You know, I look at them differently and then they affect me differently. Mm -hmm. You know, are you experiencing the same thing? And do you? Absolutely. It's almost like every time I go to the dojo, it's, I find something else. I find a little piece that either mm -hmm. was missing or that is, has been enhanced by um, my age, my life experience, um, even having that three year long hiatus and studying other things as I was taking that three year hiatus. But there's so much more to it. It's almost like every day is a little bit different and can be a little bit different. I never get bored mm -hmm. in, in NIMPO because it's always something new to explore. And even as, of course, I'm getting older, but just to be able to push my body in a different way that really truly is buying mind, body, spirit, and even soul. Mm -hmm. And taking everything that I have learned over the past 50 years and putting it together as a, you know, practitioner of physical therapy, of martial arts, of dance, and several other movement uh, forms that I've studied, Pilates, Feldenkrais, all of it comes together. So I think that everything that I've studied along the way is just like martial arts. It's the same philosophy. It's lifelong learning. You never stop learning. Mm -hmm. And once you do, that's when you get old. That's when mm -hmm. things start to fall apart. But if you can keep that sense of interest and curiosity, and isn't it interesting how the body works, how my body can move, how my body reacts with this person as my partner? as compared to another person. It's just mm -hmm. so rich. There's so much there to learn and to explore. And I think that's what really keeps us youthful as, mm -hmm. you know, well, as people, but martial artists are just amazing. I mean, they have incredible, I think, longevity and ability to move that average people don't. And even starting at such a late age, I think that I got more out of it than if I had started at a younger age. Mm -hmm. I think that you, I mean, in my experience, I feel like it was probably easier to enter some of the, the more esoteric or philosophical or spiritual learnings um, as a more mature person than if I had started as a kid or a teenager or mm -hmm. even in my twenties. Do you, so Mar, Sensei Mark just posted um, on social media a photo of a newer student that just mm -hmm. joined, joined the dojo where you're training, um, another woman who is also in her 60s. Yes. So he's very, very proud about parading, <laughs> parading around the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> What's that like for you to have somebody, so I, I mean, for me, so right now where I'm training because I'm teaching, Right. Uh, my dojo is almost 100% women. It's 99% women. We have one guy um, wow. at the moment. Mm -hmm. 
that will change over time, as you know, like people come and go and, and things change shape. Um, but when I was training in other schools, it was always great to have another woman join. And then that always meant something different um, regarding her age. You know, if she was the same age, if she was younger, if she was older, what does that mean? So what does that feel like for you? You know, it's really interesting because, you know, she's brand new. She's a white belt. I'm, you know, Shodan. And I work with her a lot because, of course, you know, Mark will put the women together, and especially as a new belt to teach her things. And I, I love working with her. I love teaching women. And I love teaching new students. But there's times where it's like, okay, now bring me, I want, I want one of the guys, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we are about the same age, she and I. And my main other partner that I worked with a lot, and I might've mentioned her before, Vanessa, she's mm -hmm. the only one who went through the, to the show den right. instructor. Mm -hmm. And so Vanessa's half my age. Right. And the two of us just worked so well together. And we mm -hmm. played so well together. And it was just ridiculous sometimes even watching us train. We look like a bunch of little kids or, you know, like mm -hmm. a bunch of puppies just rolling around. And it was funny. I really enjoy working with the younger people because mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's different. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that, that I really have loved over the course of my training with various partners that I've trained with a bit um, is that that sort of unspoken but really deep trust that you have in each other that allows you to really play. You can really go hard when you want and right. you know that you can take that almost too far, right. but you, you both know your limits. You know that your partner knows their limits. Right. And they know that you know yours. Mm -hmm. And there's so much freedom in that level of trust in somebody else. It's, a, I, I, it's just something really, really wonderful to have. Um, yeah, I, it is, it, it's a wonderful experience. And when you're working with someone who's a white belt and I mean, you know, and she's very enthusiastic, which is wonderful, mm -hmm. but you know, she'll start going at things like so hard and fast and you know, you have to slow down, you have to feel this. So it's one of those things that, um, yeah, is very important in training is to be very much aware of your partner. Mm -hmm and the impact of what you're doing to your partner. And if you're not aware that you can probably get hurt, because you know, I'm not, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a dance. Right, right. And someone's leading and someone's always following and that changes all the time. And it's just so fine tuning, you know, again, your movements, your body, your awareness. And to me, it's the awareness, the, um, physical awareness, the emotional awareness, the spatial awareness, the situational awareness, environmental, mm -hmm. everything all goes into it. And I, those are the things that sometimes get lost is you have got to have that, you know, in your training, even from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the Femininja Project. Ooh, the Femininja Project is a podcast and it's actually a community that I've built and it's growing every single day. It's about, it's a podcast about personal empowerment and restoring human dignity. And so it's loosely based on my experience as a martial artist, but I always, I also talk a lot about healing, about natural healing, about uh, alternative health, about um, recovering from you know, injuries from traumatic experiences. And on the Femininja Project, I have women as my guests. And thank you so much for being on a few weeks ago. It was wonderful. But I also have men on the show too, because I love to hear from a man's perspective. I like to hear their voices and I like to hear their experiences as well. So it's a really fun project that I've been doing. Good. Well, we'll put links. Um, oh, the Femininja Project as well in the, the episodes of this pod, this blah, blah, podcast. I am <laughs> losing my ability to pronounce the letter P, apparently. <laughs> um, and so on that note, um, I know that it's, the, it's early for you, isn't it? It's morning. It is. You're just it's getting your day started. I'm just wrapping my day up. I know. I'm going to ask you one last question. What's your favorite weapon? 
That's an I like them all kind of sigh. <laughs> yeah, I love them all for different reasons. I would have to say Rukshako bow is my favorite weapon because it was the first weapon that I ever played with in the dojo. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified when they put it into my hands. But as I was working with it, that thing actually came alive in my hands. And it was the most incredible experience. I was a white belt. And I love Rukshako bow, um, but there's nothing like unsheathing sheathing, unsheathing a sword. There's that's nothing true. like a, playing with a blade that's, that, that really just makes you feel like a girl. <laughs> yes, in ways people don't quite realize sometimes, but indeed. Yes. Yeah, it's always good. Thank you very much, Cheryl, for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's great to listen to your journey and your perspective, because I think people don't, um, they don't realize that you can join a martial art at any age. Mm -hmm. And I think when people think of more mature people in martial arts, they tend to think of like, you know, people with like Fu Manchu mustaches and, you know, really wizened old people walking around with canes and you know dropping buddhist koans and you know and then like i don't know whatever i'm making up a movie in my head but nonetheless i think that people don't realize that um you can still be a nimpo at any age and be vibrant and and active and that it's actually really good for those things well i i even i wrote a book on fitness over 50. that's right and i didn't even ask you about that i'm sorry <laughs> oh that's okay but um you know it's actually based on the movement movement arts and the four mm -hmm. movement arts that i highlight are pilates feldenkrais dance and martial arts and martial arts is to me the epitome of longevity of health wellness um, almost eternal youth, because mm -hmm. if you keep up with it, it just teaches you how to move in such a beautiful, healthy way. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's a little secret about longevity and health. And I mean, I have to say our listeners won't see the video aspect of this podcast, mm -hmm. but this is the second time that I'm speaking with you and you can definitely see little clips of Cheryl moving around on the mats on the Wash Park Martial Arts Instagram and Facebook page. Um, and I would never in a million years have guessed that you are 64. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know what 64 is supposed to look like. I've never been this old. Well, yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat too, but in the sense I've never been this old. But right. nonetheless, I never would have, I never would have, if I met you on the street, I never would have been like, oh, that's clearly a woman in her 60s. Well, not, think, not in a million years. See, I think that you and I are actually not only creating more interest for women in martial arts and women in NIMPO, but, you know, let's just kick butt after we pass 50. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, I think as you get older, it's so easy to just be like, well, I'm too old for this or that or the other thing. And, but picking up something new and the, just, there's just so much to learn in Ninpo, mm -hmm. you know, and there's so, from my perspective as a woman, because I don't know the perspective as a man, since I'm not a man, it gives me so much and definitely I went through a period in my training where you sort of, and I see other women do this, you go through a period where you suddenly get kind of really masculine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's usually where I see a lot of women leave mm -hmm. because they don't like that feeling of masculinity. But um, I didn't, and I didn't leave because I was still there, you know, specifically to like learn how to save my life. Mm -hmm. So that was always my motivating factor. And what I found was when I fit, went all the way through that masculine period and got to the other side, then I was even more feminine than before. There are people I know who would argue with me on that point. <laughs> and they're welcome to. I will hunt you down and break your leg. No problem. In a very, very feminine way. Yes, yes. And then go refresh your lipstick. Exactly. As long as I don't break a nail, I'm good. Yeah, good. <laughs> anyway, so that wasn't my last question in the end. 
Okay. Um, anything else that you want to share with us, though, before I let you get on with your day and and on to class because I'll be going to NIMPO in a few oh, hours. And yeah. class, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last thing I would say is to all you ladies listening out there, I don't care how old you are or young you are or what some of you think your limitations are, you know, just give NIMPO a try or some sort of martial art or just find a way to tap into that inner power that we all have because there is so much strength and confidence hiding deep inside of us that I think sometimes maybe it's society, maybe it's the things that we tell ourselves that just remains locked inside. And all I could say is find a way to let it rip. That is a great note to end on. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Thank you, Susie. Thank you so much for having me. Talking to Cheryl is like talking to my future self. Although for Cheryl, I suppose talking to me is like talking to her past self. But what is time anyway? The fourth dimension, the basic building block of the universe, the matrix, well, whatever it is, it's flexible. And what I've learned from and been inspired by most from Cheryl is her incredible flexibility. As her movement guru, Moshe Feldenkrais says, what I'm after isn't flexible bodies, but flexible brains. What I'm after is to restore each person to his human dignity. And as Cheryl says, it's a lovely philosophy to live by. Wouldn't you agree? I would. You can find out more about Cheryl, her physical therapy work and speaking engagements, and her book, Forever Fit and Flexible, as well as her blog and her podcast, The Femininja Project, at her website, CherylElove.com. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.